0: We're talking today about the times when you kind of know the right thing to do, or you know what you should do or maybe what you shouldn't do, but you struggle with the power to do it or to not do it. Uh, we had a big garage sale this weekend. We're adopting a little girl from Haiti, and so uh, my wife keeps putting on these garage sales, and she's doing an amazing job. I'm surprised every time how much stuff all of our friends donate, and then how much she gets for it all is incredible uh, because it's an expect. It's- an expensive process adopting this girl from Haiti. So this weekend, while Mel was uh, working the garage sale so diligently, it was me and Jack and Zoe, kind of for most of the weekend, just hanging out, and we had a blast. Uh, but one of the things that um, I struggle with is this this kind of tension I have that I'm, I'm a, kind of a. Mental nerd, you know, and I I spend all week sitting and thinking about ideas, and then uh, all of a sudden on the weekend I've got this two-year-old and four-year-old, and there's not a lot of time to sit and reflect and relax, and, and sometimes I feel like, man, you know, I know what a good dad looks like, but sometimes I struggle to be that. Sometimes I struggle. I, I kind of have an idea of, okay, I know what a, a godly father should look like from God's word, but sometimes when, when the two-year-old's screaming and the four-year-old's disobeying, I'm I just at my wits end and I feel like I, I know what to do, but I don't think I have the strength to do it. Have you ever been in a situation like that? Uh, sometimes it's daily struggles like that. Sometimes it's a, it's a big, heavy thing. I've told a few of you that this last November or December, I went through like a one or two month period of uh, almost like depression. You know, I had, I had had a book come out at the beginning of 2013 and I just ran that year so hard. I did like more than 50 radio interviews, TV interviews, writing pieces for CNN and Washington Post and all these places, speaking all around the world while preaching here, while leading the church, while trying to be dad, trying to be a good husband. And it got to like November of last year and I was just depleted. It was just, there was just like nothing left. And it was one of those big times where I knew what, I was supposed to do, that That when you don't feel it, you just keep being faithful. You know, there's times in life when you feel it, that you're following God, and you love your community group, and you love all the stuff you're in. There's other times when you don't feel it, and you just keep being faithful. And I knew it was one of those times of, okay, John, just just slow down, let yourself recharge, and just be faithful as a dad, be faithful as a husband, be faithful as a pastor, just slow down and be faithful. And I knew that. But for about two months there, every evening, I just had to wrestle through with God. God, I know all I need to do tomorrow is be faithful, but I don't think I have the strength to do that. I don't think I have the power to do that. And what we're talking about today is this reality that we all have times when we want to follow God, but we don't have the strength. We all have times when we want to do the right thing. You know, we we kinda we wanna be the right husband or or we wanna get into a home group or we you know, we know kinda what the right thing is to do. We want to, but we just don't have the strength to. We all have those times. Maybe it's just something like I want to eat healthier, but I don't seem to have the strength to. I want to get my credit card spending under control, but I don't seem to have the strength to. I wanna be a better mom or a better student or a better friend or a better parent. And I want to, and I have an idea of what it looks like, but I just, it's like I don't have the power or the strength to actually do that. There's this tension in our lives that we wanna do what's right, we wanna follow God, and yet in each of our lives, there are these different scenarios, these different specific situations for each of us where we just don't seem to have the strength or the power to do it. You know, sometimes this works out in a, a positive sense of, I know I should invite that co-worker to a service where they can hear about Christ. I know I should, but every time the opportunity comes up, it's like I, I just don't quite have the strength to do it. Or I know I shouldn't keep smoking, you know, or I, I shouldn't keep clicking on that, or I shouldn't fill in the blank, but, but when the time comes, it's like I lack the power. You lack the power to not do it. When we try to follow God, and then we fail, and we fail again, and we fail repeatedly, it leaves us disheartened, doesn't it? And I think there's a lot of Christians who I've met who keep a smile on their face and are pretty positive about God in 90 some percent of their life, but in whatever their area is where they've tried and they've failed and they've tried and they've failed, they're so disheartened in that area. And it's almost like, you know, they're not even gonna really talk to others about that area because it almost makes them doubt God and God's presence and God's reality because God works in all these other areas. But in this area, I just keep trying and I just keep failing. We know we shouldn't yell at the kids. We know we shouldn't hold resentment against the spouse. We know we shouldn't gossip about the boss. We know we shouldn't have that drink. We know we shouldn't click on that. But then the time comes and we just don't have the strength to do what we know we should. We're talking today about the dead end of frustration. Do you have a dead end of frustration in your life anywhere? A thing that you really want to or not to do and yet you've tried and failed and tried and failed and tried and failed. Where's the dead end of frustration in your life? Maybe it's a custody battle that you're in. Maybe it's a a child or grandchild and the choices they're making and it's just a dead end of frustration for you. Maybe it's that you, you know, you really stepped out in faith to obey God in an area. You felt like God was calling you to do something and you did it and you you quit that job or you made that radical decision and you stepped out and it's like you stepped off a cliff. It did not go as you thought it would go when you made that big surrender and took that big step and you keep trying to hang in there and you're trying to keep doing the right thing, but some days you just wonder, do I really have the strength to hang in there with this marriage? Do I really have the strength to keep believing God and keep trusting God, the frustration of wanting to do what's right and finding yourself unable? Well, if you've ever felt like it's impossible for you to do what you want to do, there's good news for you today. And here's the good news. God agrees he says, it is impossible for you to do the right thing in some situations. It is impossible for you in your own strength to act like Jesus. And here's the good news that God offers. When I can't, God's spirit can. When I can't do the right thing for me, God's spirit can do the right thing in me when I can't make the right choice or refuse the wrong choice, God's Holy Spirit is available. And he's an incredibly overlooked asset and power source in most of our lives. He's available and he's waiting to give you supernatural strength for your natural struggles. He's waiting to give you extraordinary power for your ordinary problems. He's waiting to give you this unreal strength, the strength of heaven in your just too real, very real, everyday problems. And I know right now that some of you, I just know some of you are looking at me and you're thinking, yeah, John, that sounds cute. Yeah, that sounds like a really nice little idea. Nice little slogan you put together, but you obviously don't know what things are like in my real life. Well, to those of you who are a little skeptical, and We invite skeptics here. I'm pretty skeptical by nature. If you're a little skeptical about this claim that we're going to see in God's word, that his spirit, wherever you can't, whatever that thing is that you can't, whether it's pornography, whether it's your marriage, whether it's just hanging in there to keep believing in God and following him, wherever you can't, God's spirit can do that in you and through you, if you'll invite him to. If you're skeptical of that Hang in there with me, okay, and keep listening. Because as we get to the end of our message today, I'm going to address, I've thought about this all week. What's the skepticism? Because I have it too. I've thought about it all week, and I, I, I think I've got an answer that you're uh, going to find to be kind of meaty. But hang in there with me first. Let's lay out some groundwork. I want to start by talking with you about two kinds of Christians. Two kinds of Christians, I call them whistlers. And non-whistlers. Do you remember the moment when you learned how to whistle? I remember the moment when I learned how to whistle because it took me forever. You know, I have three older brothers and and they weren't usually very helpful, things like this, right? And they would kind of tease me that I was slow. And uh, I remember so many times just, you know, blowing air out of your mouth and trying to, to shape your mouth properly to get a whistle. And it was so frustrating. And I remember that first moment when finally a little whistle came out. And then after that, it started to go pretty quickly. Do you, do you remember when you learned how to whistle? Do you remember the moment when you learned how to ride a bike? Do you remember that moment when after all the fall downs, you, you kept going Or do you remember the moment when you learned how to swim? Some of us maybe uh, can't remember back that far, okay? So let's think of some newer ones. Do you remember the moment when email made sense? Or do you remember the moment, I remember this moment, because I'm older in technology years than I am biologically. uh, I remember the moment when Facebook made sense. I thought Facebook was just, it is a waste of time, okay? Let's be clear about that. But I I thought it was just such a joke and that it was pointless. And, and then Mel made me get an iPhone and I got it on there. And everybody's like, oh, I see why people do this. You know, you can kind of like really connect with a lot of people. This is cool. There was this moment, okay? We're talking about the moment. And here's the next point on your outline. There's a moment, the moment when people who can't get empowered by the spirit who can. Okay, and here's what I've seen as a pastor in the, uh, in the church circles that we work in. You know, you can never learn how to whistle and you can have a pretty normal life, right? You could never learn how to ride a bike and be fine. You could never learn how to swim. And there's a lot of Christians who've never had this moment. They've never learned this power that's available to them in the Holy Spirit. And so they, they continue trying to follow Jesus in their strength and it leads to frustration. And and I'm convinced that it is the vast majority of us who've not yet really had the moment where, where we, where we look at scriptures like we'll look at today and where we call out to God and say, God, I want to, I, I want to keep following you. And I, I know that even if your spirit's in my life, I'm not going to be perfect and I'm going to mess up and I'll still have pain and all that. But Lord, I want, your spirit's power in my life. In this area where I'm so frustrated, Lord, because I've been trying in my strength, I I wanna see your spirit's power. I want your spirit to give me the power to do what's right. It's this moment. And I'm here today, I believe God brought you here today because he wants you to have that moment. Or maybe you had it a long time ago and you used to know what it was to really walk with the spirit and be powered by the spirit, but it's just been a while been a while since you've gotten in the pool or since you've whistled a tune. It's been a a while. You you maybe have the skill, but it, it hasn't been used. God's got us here today to have a moment where we call out to him and we say, God, I realize it's impossible for me to follow Jesus in my strength. And I realize that's why I'm frustrated. Holy Spirit who lives in me, I want to fan you into flames so that you can do in me what I could never do for me. Will you make me a believer who whistles? (laughs) Will you make me a believer who's had the moment, who when I can't, I see that your spirit can Well, we're going to look at three examples of this pretty quickly in Scripture. Here's the first one. The moment example, number one, is totally ordinary Christians, okay? Because there's hundreds of examples of this in Scripture, and a lot of them are people like Samson and Paul and Peter. And if I gave you all examples like that, I know some of you would look and say, well, that's fine for those guys, but I'm an ordinary Christian. I'm a normal Christian, so that's where we're starting off, okay? Example of the moment Number one, Jesus is speaking here in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It's up on the screen. And what does he say? You will receive what? Power. Okay, now let's say it like it's actually the word power, okay? You will receive power when? When the Holy Spirit comes on you. Now, all through Scripture, Old and New Testament, Holy Spirit and power correlate, Samson, you guys remember Samson with his big muscles? When he would do his big feats, scripture says the spirit of the Lord came upon Samson and he, whatever his big mighty thing was, okay? So here in Acts chapter one, verse eight, this isn't just anyone speaking, this is Jesus speaking. And the church is probably about 120 people at this point. And Jesus says, here's what you guys are gonna do. You, you little motley crew of 120 people, you're going to go out and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And he kind of expands it. It's like he's saying in Prescott, in Yavapai County, in Arizona, in the United States, and to the end of the world. Okay, that's what he's saying there at the second half of that sentence. But, but the first half of the sentence, he says, that will not happen until you have the power of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because you can't do what's right in your life without the help of the Holy Spirit. You can know what it is, you can try to do it, but you're not gonna have the power to do it until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Now, if you've got your Bible or in your notes, next to that point, you can jot down Acts chapter 2, verse four. That's the moment when the Holy Spirit does come down. It's a kind of a famous moment in Christian history. It's called Pentecost, and, and then after Acts 2, verse 4, you can write you know, Acts 1, 8, Acts 2, 4, and then Acts 9, verse 31. Acts 9, verse 31 is a verse that says, Then the church in Judea and Samaria, two places where the church was not in Acts chapter 1, and they are in nine thirty one. it says, Then the church in Judea and Samaria was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. So between Acts chapter one and Acts chapter nine, the church grows from about 120 people to more than 10,000 people. It grows from a group of people who are literally hiding in one city to thousands of people scattered across the region. You know what happened between Acts one and Acts nine? The Holy Spirit happened. The Holy Spirit empowered the people of God to live out the will of God in their lives in a way that they never could have apart from the Holy Spirit. We put it this way. When 120 Christians couldn't change the world, God's Spirit could. They couldn't. They knew what Jesus wanted them to do, but Jesus tells them, you're not gonna be able to do it without my Spirit. But with my Spirit, you can I hope some of you are aware of this group ISIS, or it's now called ISIL, over in Iraq and Syria. These really radical, violent, extremist Muslims who are, uh, you know, literally there are reports coming back of Christians who've been beheaded, who've been crucified. It's just incredible violence going on over there. Imagine that you were there right now. Uh, In fact, I just listened this last week to a 20-minute radio interview that Joel Rosenberg did with an Iraqi pastor who's there. Imagine that you're there. Imagine that you see me, one of your pastors, one of your leaders, crucified and dead. And now there's about 120 people left. That's where the church was in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus had just been crucified. Their leader, who they followed, who they would soon be named after as Christians, Christians. Their leader was just crucified in the city where they live by the power people of that city. This is, where, this is violent, violent society that they live in. So these 120 Christians, they're not out there proclaiming at this point in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. They are hiding. <laughs> they're trying to survive. They don't have any notions of going out and changing the world. They're hoping to make it to their next meal and not get dragged into the public square and whipped the way that their leader just got whipped and murdered the way that their leader just got murdered. And then Jesus, risen from the dead, appears and says, you guys are gonna change the world. You're gonna turn the world upside down. Yeah, you guys. I know you don't have any buildings. You don't have any money. I know you're all afraid for your lives, but you guys are gonna change the world. And here's how. The Holy Spirit is gonna come and he's gonna give you a power that you don't have in and of yourselves. Well, let's look at example number two of the moment. The moment when ordinary people who can't get empowered by the spirit of God who can. Moment number two is little David. You've heard of him. Little David, the giant slayer. Little David, who was uh, pretty poetic and musical and would write these songs while he hung out with his sheep. Right? That's who David was, right? He's a sensitive guy. He's poetic. He's musical. And and we know at this point he has fought off some predators who've attacked his sheep. But there's a moment in David's life. And and I start with after the moment. You guys know this. As the Philistines move closer to attack him, this is Goliath. David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. I love that verse. David ran quickly. I I love this in 1 Samuel 17, that when David squares off, there's this gigantic, blood-stained, ultimate fighting champion, Goliath. And every fight he's ever fought is a fight to the death. And he and David are going one-on-one. And David's little, doesn't have armor on, we know from the story. He's just got his little sling, right, and his stones. And when, when Goliath starts heading towards him, David takes off sprinting. He's that confident about beating Goliath. How is this shepherd boy singer so confident about slaying a giant? How is he? Well, let's look at one chapter earlier from 1 Samuel 17. Let's look back at 1 Samuel 16, David's moment. This is one chapter before he kills Goliath. So Samuel, who was the prophet of God, took the horn of oil and anointed him, him as David, in the presence of his brothers. And listen to this, from that day on, from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came upon David in what? Power. Let's say it again. The spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. The spirit brings power. The spirit gives a power that we don't have in ourselves. 120 Christians could not change the world. With the Holy Spirit's power, they could. The David of 1 Samuel 16 could not have defeated Goliath in 1 Samuel 17, but Samuel comes, and the Holy Spirit comes on David in power. Now, in the Old Testament, the Spirit of the Lord would come on people, Now in the New Testament, those of us who believe in Christ, when we believe in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes on us and then scripture tells us he lives in us. So a whole lot of us are walking around and we've got this inboard power source that's pretty neglected and pretty dusty and pretty unused because a lot of us like to kind of do things in our own power. I know I do. Okay, when David couldn't, God's spirit could. When 120 people couldn't, God's spirit could. When David couldn't, God's spirit could. And that thing that, that is, is in your mind, that dead-end frustration that you have where you can't, God's spirit can. Now, moment number three may surprise you, okay? The person in moment number three may be unexpected. And here it is, moment, example number three, Jesus. Did you know that there was a time when the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus? Let's look at this in Mark 1, verse 10. This is after John the baptizer has just baptized Jesus in the Jordan River. Jesus is coming up. Water's maybe dripping off of his hair and beard. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. Now here's a really important point. Four of the four gospels begin Jesus' story with this, the Holy Spirit descending on him. You probably know there's four gospels. There's Matthew's account, Mark's, Luke's, and John's. And there's a lot of things that only appear in one gospel or maybe two gospels because they're not really central to the story. They're a, a detail or John puts them in there and, and they're all inspired of God and they're all profitable for us. But there's a lot of things that are only in one or two of the gospels or in three of the gospels. And when I, when I thought about this, I thought, you know, maybe this is just going to be in one of the gospels. Nope. It's in all four of them, and on your outline are the references, and you'll see that it's at the beginning, toward the beginning of all four of them. And if you study those references and you you read back to the beginning of those Gospels, here's what you're going to realize. Jesus never did a miracle, at least not that's recorded in Scripture, until the Holy Spirit came upon him. Now, this is hard for our brains theologically because we know Jesus is fully God. He's not a God. He's the one true God who came down among us. Where, where we struggle to understand this is that when Jesus came down among us and Philippians 2 explains this, he forfeited, he gave up access to a lot of his own power. I don't know if you've ever driven like a go-kart or some kind of machine that has a governor on it. In fact, most of your cars are governed up in the 100s. You know, hopefully you'll never reach the governor limit on your automobile. Most pickup trucks are governed between like 95 and 105. Hope you never reach that in a pickup truck. Okay. But a governor is when the system is capable of more, but the engineers say, well, we're going to have a cutoff point here. And when, when God came down among us, Philippians 2 says that he humbled himself and he took upon him the form of a man. But well, when he took upon him the form of a man, he governed himself. He let go of some of his power. In nature, he's still 100% God. But as a human, he needed sleep. He needed food. As a human, he felt normal emotions. And the book of Hebrews, as well as other scriptures are really clear about this, that he felt the full range of emotions that we feel and his power Jesus says of his own words over and over in the gospels his power comes from his relationship to the father well why was that necessary here's here's part of the reason why because Jesus came as the second adam you remember the first adam he and eve kind of screwed things up when they invited sin into the world and it you know sent us all literally in a handbasket to hell, right? Okay, the first Adam messed things up. Jesus came not only as our Savior and as Messiah, but also as the second Adam. He came to show us, here's what it looks like to be a normal human in a right relationship with God. Not in a broken relationship with God and estranged from God, but here's what it looks like to be in a right relationship with God. Well, for him to do that, he had to give up some of his... His, his powers for the time being. He governed them. He willingly let go of them. So as a result, he could get tired. As a result, uh, he needed to eat food. And so it's that, it's that Jesus, 100% God in nature, but 100% man in his body, who each of the gospel writers start off by saying there was a moment when the Holy Spirit came down from heaven and, and, and came upon Jesus. And from that day forward is what we call Jesus' public ministry. It's what happens in the gospels. It's the about th- roughly three years from his baptism to his crucifixion. And the Holy Spirit made the difference. Now this next one, even Jesus could not have lived like Jesus without the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not saying this to you know, get some seminary debate started, okay? Obviously, Jesus is fully God. He could have called 10,000 angels. He could have, yes, all those things are true, okay? But because he chose to limit himself the way that Philippians 2 describes, and because of the way Scripture describes it, I believe that even Jesus had the Spirit of God not descended on him, he wouldn't have had the power to do the things that he did because he was showing us here's how it looks to be a human rightly related to God. You pray to your father and through his Holy Spirit, he gives you the power to do his will and his works in your life. If you want a verse for that, Acts 10, verse 38 says this, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, God the Son, with what? The Holy Spirit and... Yeah, let's do it one more time. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. Man, is there a theme going on here? It seems like every time someone has a moment with the Holy Spirit, this word power comes up for David, for the 120, for Jesus. None of these people could have done what God had for them without the Holy Spirit. It's just the way that scripture explains it. It's the way the stories go. So it brings up a question for us. Are you trying to live out God's plan for you? Good for you if you are, okay? But are you trying to live out his plan for you without the power of the Holy Spirit? When following Christ is impossible for you, God's spirit can do the work for you. Are you starting to believe it, skeptics? It's okay, I still haven't gotten to my big point for you skeptics, okay? God offers this to everyone who has trusted in Christ. Extraordinary power for your ordinary struggles. When you can't follow Christ you know, Paul puts it this way in Romans 6 and 7, and I didn't want to take you guys trotting through the whole Bible today and you know, confuse us all, but you know, in Romans 6 and 7, Paul says pretty much, you know, in my nature, I can never do the right thing. But God's spirit living in me, it, he almost describes it like he's like a dead body. Like he's like this cadaver. And before the spirit of God came in him, he could never do the right thing. But after he trusted Christ, now the spirit of God is in him. And it's almost like he's animated, he's possessed by the spirit of God. And anything that's good that happens in his life isn't Paul doing it. It's the spirit of God doing it. It's not Paul, you know, being a really great person. It's the spirit of God living through Paul. So so that's the idea. And that might sound a little gross to you. And you can read more about that in Romans 8 if you want. But when following Christ is impossible for you, God's spirit can do the work for you. God, and these are the moments when you find yourself in that dead end of frustration. God, I I want to quit that habit. I want to hang in there with this marriage. I want to be that dad that I can't be in my own strength. I wanna be that pastor I can't be in my own strength. I want to do what's right. I wanna live your plan for my life, but I don't have the power. That's when you have your moment and you say, God, I realize I can't do it. But I believe that your Holy Spirit is available to do it in me. God's Spirit can do in you what you can't do for you. You know, God didn't give the Holy Spirit so we could read about the Holy Spirit in books. You know, I I grew up in church circles where I learned a lot about the Holy Spirit. And I knew all these doctrines about him and all these verses about him. And, and that's good stuff, okay? But God didn't ultimately give us the Holy Spirit so we could just learn facts about him. Also, God didn't give us the Holy Spirit so we could do hokey magic tricks, right? There's some other, there's some other Christian circles that are all about the Spirit. And in some of them, it's like these hokey magic tricks pretty much, you know? Well, he didn't give us the spirit to do hokey magic tricks. He didn't give us the spirit so we could fill up books of knowledge about it. He gave us the spirit to empower us to do the right thing when we don't have the power in ourselves. He gave us the spirit as a power source because you see, God, he loves you. He's got a plan for your life. He's got a specific plan for your life. And he knows there's there's ridges on that plan. There's turns on that plan where you do not have the strength to live out God's good plan for your life. And so he said, I'm gonna give them a little bit of me inside of them. (laughs) And when they don't have the power to do the right thing, I will give them the power in them through my Holy Spirit. So I wonder, have you had your moment? Have you had a moment in your life when you look to the Holy Spirit to do what you cannot? This doesn't have to be any more dramatic than learning how to whistle or learning how to swim. But there is a clear transition, at least there was in my life. And again, there wasn't fire from heaven or anything, but I I look back on my life and it's like, yeah, I see before that time, I was following God and he loved me no matter what, no matter how I failed. But there came a time when, by God's grace, a, 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 a friend of mine who's a missionary took me with him on a missions trip. And I was over in Belarus teaching these young Belarusian seminary students, the Bible, and he asked me to teach on the Holy Spirit. And as I was studying it, the Holy Spirit just did a work in me. And I realized that what I had known about the Holy Spirit wasn't just to be known, it was to be experienced. And the Spirit was waiting to empower me to teach in ways that I never had before, and to, to follow God in ways that I never had before, and to say no to my old self in ways that I never had before. Have have you had a moment like that when when you realize, you know, I couldn't do these things, but God's Spirit could? Now, I know some of you are still skeptical, and so now I'm gonna address you guys, okay? If you say, John, if it were that simple, or John, it can't be that easy. If you're skeptical that God's Spirit can, where you cannot, I wanna talk to you for a moment. Again, I was thinking about this all week, all week, I was like, Lord, give me, I, I, I need something for these skeptics. I don't know why like this message makes sense to me, but I just know it's gonna go out and it's gonna bounce back on a lot of them. And, and what is it? You know, Why is that? What's the difference? And last night, literally like 12 o'clock while I'm brushing my teeth, I realized this. We don't believe this because we confuse power, which God promises, with pain-free, which God does not promise. Okay, as a follower of Jesus, God promises you this, anytime you step out in obedience to follow him, he will give you the power to do it. He gives you that promise. What what he doesn't promise is this, that your life will be pain-free. And for whatever reason, we tend to, we merge these together. And it's like, well, if that's true, then why, when I followed God and he gave me the strength to do it, did it hurt so much? Well, well, he never promised that it wouldn't hurt. And here's the thing I pushed in on this even more. I think a lot of us, more than God, we don't want God's power to do his will in our lives. We really don't. We want a pain pill so we can do our will in our lives, right? That's really what we're after. And we're just seeking a pain free kind of thing, and God's saying, well, I never promised that. And and here's where I want to push back on all of us, including myself. In any other domain of life, you don't get power without pain, right? I work out a little bit at the Y. I know it doesn't show. It never will, okay? But, you know, like yesterday uh, and today, I'm sore because on Friday, I worked out really hard. And when I work out hard, it's always not the next day, but the day after that I feel really sore for whatever reason. Okay, we know this. No one's going to get physically strong without pain. No one's going to get financially strong without some sweat and some work unless they're a trust fund kid, right? No no one's going to get politically strong without some work. In every other area of life we get this, like, yeah, getting power doesn't mean that your life is pain-free for some reason, I don't know what it is. We think, well, if, if that's true, if God's spirit is really available, then, then why is there still pain in my life? And, and it's because they're, they're two different issues. And, and I'm gonna give you guys a, a reference for this, okay? Remember Mark chapter one? You guys remember that verse where Jesus comes up out of the water, the Holy Spirit descends on him? Let me read you two verses later. Mark chapter one, verse 12. At once, okay, Holy Spirit comes on Jesus' life. Here's the first thing that the Holy Spirit does in Jesus' life, Mark 1, verse 12. At once, the Spirit sent him into the desert and he was in the desert 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals. Next to Gethsemane and the cross, these were the hardest moments of Jesus' earthly life, the hardest moments of his eternity, When for 40 days in the desert, he was tempted in every way, like we're tempted, and not just a demon, not just a fallen sin nature, but Satan himself, Lucifer, was there with Jesus who was hungry and tired and alone, the most vulnerable he could be. And for 40 days, Satan tests him. Who sent Jesus out there for that pain? The same Holy Spirit who empowered him to heal the blind. And to raise Lazarus from the dead. And to bear the sins of the world on the cross. So, I'm not bringing that up to say, if you ask the Holy Spirit to control your life, you'll have pain. Okay? Because here's the thing. Here's the other thing I realized. There is no pain pill. Okay? You, you can throw Christianity out the window. You, you can look to Islam, to Judaism. You can look to the, the Buddhist faith. You can look to any faith. There is no pain pill. Okay? We're in a fallen world. There's no pain pill until we get to heaven. And what the Holy Spirit is, he is a comforter and he comes and he soothes you in your pain and he helps you, okay? He's a comforter and he's a helper. But, but primarily what he does is he gives you the power to obey God on your way to heaven, so I'm, I'm not saying this to discourage you, but I'm saying if you're skeptical because you're like, well, yeah, I've, talk, I've had moments with the Holy Spirit, but I still have hurt in my life. Well, of course you do. Jesus still did. David still did. The 120 and Acts still did. Paul still did. So don't, don't confuse the power of the Holy Spirit with pain-free living. Did that get through? Okay. But let's end on this positive note. When you can't, God's Spirit can When I can't, God's spirit can. So let's zone back in on that frustration, that that dead-end area of your life. You wanna stop smoking. You wanna stop that pornography addiction. You wanna stop overspending. You wanna be the kind of husband or dad that you're supposed to be. You wanna be in a home group, but everyone you've tried isn't the right fit. And you feel like, I keep trying, and there's just not a place for me. Or you feel that way about church, you know? I know I'm supposed to be in church. I know I grow in church, but every church I go to, it seems fake, or it's too big, or it's too small, and I just don't know if I can keep trying. Well, well, you're right. You know, we all reach a point that we can't keep doing it in our strength. But where you can't, God's Spirit can. And and I'm just gonna close by telling you guys this in my life, because, you know, I, I look back to where I knew Jesus before I had the moment for me. And and I loved God and I'd have my devotions every night and I knew his word and, and he loved me just as much then as he loves me now. But when I asked God to unleash the Holy Spirit in me, all of a sudden, I just started teaching the Bible different places, you know? And it's gonna be a different journey for everyone, but spiritual gifts come from the Holy Spirit, And I'm convinced if I hadn't asked God, if I hadn't had the moment years ago when I said, okay, God, be unleashed in me. Whatever your path for my life is, empower me to do it and I'll do it. If I hadn't had that moment of, get this, not only surrendering to the Holy Spirit, but inviting the Holy Spirit, saying, Holy Spirit, I wanna be controlled by you. I wanna live out the Father's plan for my life. I I tell you guys this with with no doubt in my mind, because I want you to know this isn't just some idea. Okay, to me, this, is, this has shaped the course of my life, what we're talking about today. I have no doubt, if I had not had my moment with the Holy Spirit, I would be sitting at a desk today editing a newspaper in Scottsdale. You know, that, that's what I would be doing. And that's fine that God has Christians doing that. And if I were a Christian still doing that, he would still love me, right? But I would not know how to whistle. I would not know how to ride a bike. I would not know how to swim. Do you know what I mean? There's a, there's a difference from the, from the time, the season of my life, when I said, God, I invite your Holy Spirit to control me and consume me and have me, there's a difference. And, and I know God wants you to have that. And it wasn't dramatic, and it hasn't been pain-free. I mean, I started off by telling you guys about my month or two of depression last November, December, where every day it was just like, God, I don't think I can I need that same Holy Spirit who's brought me this far. I just need you to get me through today. And you know what I realized in that time? You know the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. You know what one of them is? Faithfulness. God's Spirit can give you a faithfulness that you don't have in yourself. He's given me a faithfulness that I don't have in myself. And you guys don't know it from the outside. You probably know, "Oh, John's such a good guy, but I'm not. I'm just a guy who's got the Holy Spirit in me and you're people who've got the Holy Spirit in you. And my prayer for you today is to have the moment to invite the Holy Spirit to control your life. Would you stand and pray that together with me? Heavenly Father, there's a lot of can'ts in this room. There's a lot of cannots. things that we cannot say no to, things that we cannot do. Oh, Lord, you love these people so much. Right now, together, Lord, we surrender to your spirit. Not only do we surrender, Lord, we invite, we desire, we long for, we embrace, we call upon your Holy Spirit, one with the Father and the Son, Spirit we call on you to live in us, to possess us, to control us, to empower us, to do for your kingdom things that we could never do in our own strength, and to say no to old things that we could never say no to in our strength. Father, as we go from here in song now, we are just committing to you. We want to be shaped by you. We want to be filled by you. We want to be controlled by you. Jesus, just as you had the Holy Spirit in your life, we want it in our lives. As those 120 had it in Acts, we want your spirit to empower us to do your will on earth. We know it won't be pain-free. We're not looking for drama or cheap antics, Lord. We're looking for your power to enable us to do what's right. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.